Today, as we started last week, I want to talk to you once again about the church. I want to talk to the church about the church. I want to talk to the church or the assembly of the redeemed about what is God's plan for the church? How does it relate to us? And so we're looking at the church, its meaning, its mission, and its ministry. And maybe we'll even go into its message. I don't know. Uh, We're going to spend some time here looking at what the Bible says concerning the church of Jesus Christ. We are the called out ones. We've been called out of the kingdom of darkness that we might live in the kingdom of righteousness, the kingdom of the light. We've been called out of enslavement to Satan that we might be the bondservants of Christ. The Bible says that we are aliens and strangers in a foreign land. We truly are an alien nation. We are a strange nation. I'm not so sure that the church understands that today. We, we are completely different than the world We're not better than the world. We're just different than the world because we're aliens and strangers in a foreign land. And so that's because Christ has called us out of the dark kingdom of Satan into his glorious light. In fact, the Bible says to the Apostle Paul, to the church at Rome, in Romans 1, verse number 6, you are the called of Jesus Christ. And then he says in Romans 8, verse number 28, He says that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The called know that all things work together for good because the called are the ones who love God and that they are called according to his purpose. Paul tells those in in, uh, Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1.24, he says, to those who are the called. And then he says in verse 26, For consider your calling. Ephesians 4 verse number 1 says that we are to walk worthy of our calling. And 2 Peter 1.10 says make certain of his calling and choosing of you. We are the called out ones. That's what the church is. In fact, we, we are called out by the truth of the word of God. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse number 13. He says, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel. How does God call someone? He calls them through the gospel. That's why we preach the truth. Because it's the word of God that calls people into the kingdom of God. You're born again by the living and abiding word of God, Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1. James tells us that's the word of truth that's brought us forth. So we know everything that God uses to call us is central in the word of the living God. And so we're looking at God's design for the church, looking at the meaning of the church. And so we told you last week that the church is the plan of the Son of God. It's the plan of the Son of God. And the verse was Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20, where the Lord God said to Peter that upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He speaks to the certainty of the church. He speaks to the invincibility of the church. Why? Because Peter had made a confession, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Christ responds by saying, that's the bedrock confession, and upon that confession, 
based on the identity of who I am and the ministry of all that I'll do, I'm going to build my church and nothing in hell will prevail against it because God speaks of the invincibility of the church. That was last week. So the church is the plan of the Son of God. It's also, number two, it is the possession of the living God. It's the possession of the living God. Christ says, I will build my church. We are the household of God. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2 that we are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. We are a people of his own possession. We've been bought with a price. The price was the blood of the lamb. We've been purchased by the blood of the lamb. Christ owns us. We are his. We are his sheep. We are his bride. And therefore, we are his property. So the church is the plan of the Son of, Son of God. It's the possession of the living God. And number three, we introduced this last week, it's the pillar of the truth of God. The text there is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 15, where Paul says that the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. So the church is the pillar of the truth of God. William Barclay, in his commentary on 1 Timothy, says this about the pillar of truth. This would have special significance to those in Ephesus in whose city stood the extravagant temple to the goddess Diana. The temple was one of the seven wonders of the world. One of its features was its pillars. It contained 127 pillars, every one of them the gift of a king. All were made of marble, and some were studded with jewels and overlaid with gold. The people of Ephesus knew well how beautiful a thing a pillar could be. Yet the pillars were more than just mere objects of beauty. It may well be that the idea of the word pillar here is not so much a support as it is a display. The idea here is that the church's duty is to hold up the truth in such a way that all men may see it, the buttress of the support of the building. It keeps it standing intact in a world which does not wish to face the truth. The church holds it up for all to see in a world which would often gladly eliminate unwelcome truth, the church supports it against all who seek to destroy it. The church, the body of Christ, the assembly of the redeemed are the pillar and foundation of the truth. That means that every one of us in here who are believers who have been called out by God to represent His kingdom are pillars of the truth of the living God. Do you understand the implications of that? We would expect the assembly of the redeemed to gather together and to support that truth. But unfortunately, there are many churches that do not do that. I read this past week that there are 5,000 congregations or churches that have left the second biggest denomination in the world. That's United Methodist Church. 5,000. And you want to know what they left over? They left over a disagreement 
about human sexuality. Now, if your church is the pillar and foundation of the truth, and you submit to the authority of that truth, there is no disagreement on human sexuality. None whatsoever. So evidently, in those congregations, there is not a commitment to the pillar and support of the truth as to why they would break off from that denomination because they would have some different view of human sexuality than other churches in that denomination do. The church is the foundation of the truth. If the Lord's going to build the church, He says He is, He grows the church, everything is based on the confession of Christ and who He is, well, everything centers around the truth of Jesus Christ our Lord. And the church is to support that, is to display that. The beauty of the church is not seen in its facility. It's not seen in its music. It's not seen in any other way other than the truth it displays. That's where the beauty of the church lies, in the truth that it puts on display every single moment of every single day. That's what's the most important thing about the church. It is central to its existence and its mission because we tell the truth about the God of truth through the spirit of truth and the word of truth. That's what we do. But even, even Andy Stanley, who is the son of the late Charles Stanley, pastors a church in Georgia. And he came out by saying to his congregation these words. He says, the LGBTQ individuals who go to church have more faith than a lot of you. This is what he tells his church. That the LGBTQ plus people who come to church, have more faith than a lot of you do. Now, remember, faith is believing in what God has already said. So either you believe what God says or you don't believe what God says. And then he goes on and says this. He says that these people, these LGBTQ people, love Jesus and want to worship with us. The question comes, do they love Jesus? Because if you love Jesus, you hate evil. Psalm 97, verse number 10. If you love Jesus, you don't stay in your sin. You come out of your sin. That's what the called out ones are. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 talks about how those who will not inherit the kingdom, the homosexuals, the effeminate, the murderers, the adulterers, the fornicators, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, but such were some of you. In other words, you were that way, but you've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified. In other words, you've been called out of a pattern of sin 
whether it's homosexuality, whether it's fornication, whether it's adultery, whether it's murder, whether it's lying and slandering, you've been called out of that into God's glorious kingdom so that no, that no longer becomes a, a practice of your life simply because now you're practicing holiness and you want to serve the true and living God. You see, churches all across our country have compromised on the truth. We expect the world to do that. We understand that the world doesn't understand truth. Or, better yet, we understand that they know truth, but they suppress that truth in unrighteousness. We understand that from the world's perspective. We have have a woman who sits on the highest court in the land that when asked in her confirmation hearings if she could define what a woman is. And she said she could not. And she was a woman. And then she said, I'm not a biologist. I have 17 grandchildren. And I would guarantee even the ones who could not speak yet could tell you what a woman is. But yet we have a woman who sits on the highest court of the land who cannot define a woman. Or worse, won't define a woman because of the fear of what might, she might face if she does. Which really is worse because that means she sits on the highest court in the land and figures on pleasing people more than upholding the law of the land. You see, we have to understand that this is all around us. The church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. We have to stand on the truth. Many of you have watched Matt Walsh's commentary on what is a woman. And there he interviews a, a, a gender studies professor at one of the major institutes of our country. And as he interviews this professor, he just tells them, I want to get to the truth about womanhood. I want to know the truth. And this professor responds with these words, I'm really uncomfortable with that language. It sounds deeply transphobic to me. And Matt Walsh pushes him even further to know the truth, and he wants to end the interview and says, you keep invoking the word truth which is condescending and rude. Now, it is true that the truth is harmful. It is true that the truth is hurtful. Why? Because the truth condemns sin. The truth condemns that which is opposed to God. And so you must understand that. But we have these these people all around us that are suppressing the truth. According to Romans chapter 1, we are actually living out Romans 1 even as we speak today. And people constantly suppress the truth. So where are those who speak the truth? Where are those who stand on the truth? Where are those who show the truth? That's the church. That's the church. And as, as a father, you should be more than willing to be able to lead your family in truth. Teach them the truth. 
This booklet called The New Reformation Catechism on Human Sexuality. As a father, you must own this book. I purchased some this week. I will give it to you for free next week. Okay? But it's a great book to understand human sexuality as the Bible explains it. So you can explain it to your children. So they understand how to stand strong at school, at work, wherever they may go. Another good book about that is called Male and Female, He Created Them. You can purchase this on Amazon if you want it. I didn't buy that one for you. <clears throat> but it's, it's a book to help you understand how to take your children through this. Because this has engulfed our world. But we should not be surprised at all. Which calls for the church to stand louder and stronger on the truth of the living God. Why is that? Because the truth is that which is liberating. It really sets you free. That's what Christ said. If you know the truth, John 8, it will set you free. What's it set you free from? It sets you free from the enslavement of sin. It sets you free from the bondage of Satan. It sets you free from condemnation. It sets you free from from, from Satan. It frees you up to serve the living and true God. And Christ says in Luke 19.10, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. And he explains the fact very early on in his ministry, in his own hometown, that he was the liberator of man. In Luke's gospel, the fourth chapter, as Christ is in Nazareth, and he is called upon to, to read the text and explain the text. And of course, the text is in Isaiah chapter 61. And he says these words. He opened the book and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of our Lord. Our Lord came to set the prisoners free. Who are the prisoners? Those who are enslaved to Satan's desires and Satan's plans. Those who are not born again. And so as a church, the pillar of truth, we are to be the proclaimers of that truth because we really want to set people free from the enslavement of sin they find themselves every single day. And they do. And that's simply because they do not believe in the absolute objective truth of the Word of God. But we are the proclaimers of that truth. We are the pillar of the truth of the living God. We are the ones who stand firm on that truth without ever compromising that truth. That's the way it should be. And therefore, we are the hope to the world. We are the ambassadors of Christ, right? We are the ones who represent Christ to the world. So we must live the truth and teach the truth and obey the truth and preach that truth. So important. In fact, turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 8 for a moment. John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, you're about six months away from the cross. The hostility toward Jesus has grown 
to a high pitch. And people are coming against him. There's increased opposition. And the plot to murder Jesus is coming quickly. So Jesus is concerned that people understand one thing. What's that? The truth. That's it. Everything in the church is about the truth. And so he's concerned that people know that truth because he's the God of truth. And he preaches the truth of the gospel. And that truth is what sets prisoners free. And yet it says in verse number 30 of John 8, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Many came to believe in him. Now the problem with that is that's not saving faith. You say, wait a minute, I thought they believed in Jesus. There are many people who believe in Jesus, but were not saved. In fact, he goes on to say, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him. Who's that? In John's gospel, the Jews always refers to the religious elite. So he says that there are some Jews who believed him. There are some who believed in his miracles. They believed, and yet they did not come to saving faith. How do we know that? Well, remember back in John chapter 2? It says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name. Wow, they must be saved. Observing his signs which he was doing. Ah, they believed him because of the miraculous signs he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men, and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. He knew what was in man. He knew their belief was superficial. He knew their belief was as long as he was doing things for them, they would believe in him. But he knew what was in the heart of man. So he did not commit himself to them. In John 6, remember he fed the the 25,000? And upon feeding the 25,000, they wanted to make him their king. I mean, after all, if he can feed us with just a few loaves and few fishes, he can be our king. We'll never starve. Let's make Jesus the king. But Christ went away from them. His time had not yet come. But they only believed him because of his miracles. And later it says, many of his disciples withdrew from him and walked with him no more. No more. For they truly weren't true disciples because they turned and walked away from him. In fact, it says in John 12, verse 42, nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him. Does that mean the rulers in Israel were saved? But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. In other words, Christ said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. 
But if you don't confess me before men, neither will I confess you before my Father who is in heaven. So they believed in him up to a point. But they weren't willing to commit their lives into his life. They weren't willing to take up the cross and follow him. They weren't willing to embrace all that Jesus is and all that Jesus says and all that Jesus does. They were not true disciples, true believers, genuine believers in Christ. So it says here that there were many in John 6 who believed in him. But how do we know that these Jews who believed him weren't saved? Easily. Verse 34. They're still enslaved to their sin. So if you're still enslaved to your sin, you're not a believer in the Lord. Also, it says in verse number 38, I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. So they have a different father than Jesus did. Verse 41, you are doing the deeds of your father. Who is their father? If God were your father, you would love me. Verse 44, you are of your father the devil and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Verse 45, but because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Verse 48, the Jews answered and said to him, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So these Jews who believed him were still enslaved to the sin, had a different father than he, he did, and that father was the devil. And they said that he was of a demon and a Samaritan. They can't be true believers. And so he says these words. If you continue in my word, verse 31, then you are truly disciples of mine. Very important statement. If you continue in my word, if you remain in my word, if you abide in my word, now you are truly my disciples. In other words, abiding in Christ is not a condition for salvation. It is characteristic of those who are already saved. See that? Because those who are saved, they continue in. They abide in Christ. They remain in Christ. They don't jump on the Jesus bandwagon like like in Luke 8 where you have the the parable of the sower and the soil and there are some who jump on the Jesus bandwagon. But yet because of, it says they believed in him or they received him with joy. But when persecution came, when affliction came, when tribulation came, when the deceitfulness of riches and sinful behavior came, It drove that person away. Why? Because there was no root in that person who didn't really truly believe in the Messiah. There's a lot of superficial people out there. Christ knows by the end of his ministry, people have to know the truth. Because there are Pharisees who believed but did not continue in his word. There are many people who believed in him because of his miracles but didn't continue with him. Why? Because they didn't like the cost of following Christ. The cost was too high. The price was too great. And they realized that Jesus wasn't doing for them what they thought he would do for them. You see, a lot of people jump on the Jesus bandwagon because they want a better marriage. They jump on the Jesus bandwagon because they want to get more money. They jump on the Jesus bandwagon because they want to be healed, right? And then all of a sudden, their marriage is worse than it ever was before. And they don't understand why. 
And they're not healed. And they're not rich. And they say, well, Jesus isn't all that he cracked up to be. And they fall by the wayside. No true repentance. No true mourning over their sin. No true desire to follow Christ no matter what the cost. That's very important to understand that. The church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. We must uphold the truth clearly. So people will know and people will follow. So Christ says, listen, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. What did Jesus say in John 14, verse number 15? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In John 15, verse number 10, Christ said these words. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Over in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 4, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner in which he himself walked. You see, it's, it's the old adage, the perseverance of the saints. They keep on keeping on. Why? Because they believe in Christ. The Spirit of God enables them to do so. They don't want to turn their back on the Christ. They want to follow the Christ, even though things are hard and difficult. And as Christ moves to the end of his ministry, he says, you need to know the truth, because the truth is the only thing that's going to set you free. But the only way you know you know the truth is if you continue in me, if you abide in me. You will know that truth, and that truth will set you free. They answered him and said, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Wait a minute. We're, we're, the, we're children of Abraham. See, they thought they went to heaven because of their national heritage. And we, because we're descendants of Abraham, you can't tell us we're we're enslaved. We've never been enslaved. Well, they were enslaved in Egypt. They were enslaved in Syria and Babylon. They were enslaved many times over in their lives from a national and political standpoint. But interesting, they didn't see themselves enslaved to their sin. So Christ says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. In other words, anybody who continues to keep on sinning without repentance is the slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Free from what? The enslavement of your sin. The sin that's so so easily besets us, the sin that, that drives us and, and controls us and, and keeps us from experiencing the beauty of a, of a walk with the Lord because we're so enslaved to that sin. Christ wants to set you free from all that. Set you free from the entrapment of your sin because he knows 
He knows the retribution that's going to come. He understands the judgment that's going to come. And he wants to set you free from all of that. So as a church, we are the pillar and foundation of that truth. Because we hold the key to people's freedom. We hold the key to people's joy. The key is the truth. And we are the pillar and foundation of that truth. To not adhere to the truth of God's word is so dangerous. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 2. He says, but because of the stubbornness of, or excuse me, but, but because your stubbornness and unrepented heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds, to those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, eternal life, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also to the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. You know, it's the, it's the Lord who made it very clear in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that those who are believers are the ones who have received the love of the truth. In other words, they love the truth of the living God. I wonder this morning if you love the truth. I wonder if you've been set free from your sin. Next week I'm going to talk to you about what a church looks like that truly is the pillar and foundation of the truth. But you need to understand, and let me address the fathers just for a moment because it's Father's Day. You need to be a pillar of truth in your family. You need to be strong for your family's sake. Let me, t- let me rephrase that. Strong for God's sake and for your family's sake. You need to be the kind of pillar that desires nothing but the truth. As a father, what do you desire more than anything else? Do you desire the truth of the living God? Peter says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. If you want to be a strong pillar for your wife and for your sons and for your daughters, if you're a grandfather for your grandsons and granddaughters, maybe your great-grandsons and your great-granddaughters, if you live long enough, you need to desire nothing but the truth. Because as soon as you desire something else, it's going to preoccupy your attention. It's going to preoccupy your time. So you must desire the truth. After you desire the truth, you must depend upon the truth. Do you depend upon the truth every single day? As a church is a pillar and foundation of the truth, we must desire as a whole the truth of God's word or we'll cease to be that pillar. At the same time, we must depend completely and solely on that truth for everything. 
As a father in your home, you must depend upon the truth of the living God. Remember what, what Moses said to those in Israel as they were getting ready to embark on the promised land. He said, So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always and for our survival as it is today. In other words, you're going into a promised land. You will not survive if you don't live according to the commandments of God. You will fall flat on your face. You must stand strong on the principles of God's word. He says earlier in chapter 5, verse number 33, you shall walk in all the way which the Lord your God commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days in the land which you possess. Moses spells it out for them. Listen, you want to live a great life? You want to live a good life? You want to live a quality life? You want to live a long life? Obey the commands of God. Follow what God's word says. All the ways of God you obey. As fathers, we need to be pillars of strength for our children. And we are that when we desire nothing but the truth. When we depend on nothing else but the truth. We tend to depend upon our paychecks. We, we, we depend upon our wives. We depend upon all kinds of... Depend upon the truth of the living God. Amen. And if you depend upon it, listen. If you desire it, you'll depend upon it. If you depend upon that truth, guess what? You're going to defend that truth at all costs. You'll defend that truth. You know, I wonder if you know what's going on in your, in your kid's curriculum at school. I wonder if you know what your kids are being taught. If you put your kids in a public school system, you better know what they're being taught. And you know, we're not talking about hovering over your children, trying to figure out what's going on like a helicopter. We're talking about fighter jets. We're talking about demolition jets. We're talking about people who will figure out what's happening, what you're doing on your cell phone, on your, on your computer, what's being taught at home. Because you want to be able to defend the truth and you want to help your children to defend that truth and stand strong in that truth. And fathers, that's our responsibility. And I wonder if a father today, you desire the truth of the living God. If you depend upon that truth. If you're willing to defend that truth. And part of defending that truth is to, to declare that truth. You preach the word. You teach the word. You expose the word. You display the word. So people will know what the truth of God is. When we defend the truth, we defend it ferociously. Ferociously. Contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, Jude 3. And when you defend the faith, you defend it ferociously. You defend it fervently. You defend it faithfully. You, you, you defend it fearlessly. That is, you fear not what man may say to you. You fear not what man may do to you. Because you defend it fearlessly. And it's the same way you declare it. You declare it without compromise. And then you demonstrate the truth. You live it out. Every day. None of us are perfect fathers. None of us will ever live a perfect life. That was only Jesus who did that. We can't do that. But you know what? We can demonstrate to our children what a truth walk looks like. 
And when you, when you blow it, when you sin, you know what you do? You ask for forgiveness. Why? Because in asking for forgiveness, you demonstrate the truth of a God who forgives you. You demonstrate the truth of a God who's merciful and kind and loving. So you go to your children, if you blow it, or to your wife, and ask for forgiveness. Because you want to demonstrate the truth of the living God. Amen. The church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. I could spend a year just on this point. It is so important to us. We need to understand this. We need to, to wrestle with this. We need to come to grips with the fact that as the assembly of the redeemed, we stand strong on truth. And when we do, and we declare that truth, we declare that truth to people who are enslaved to their sin. And say, you know what? We have the keys to your freedom. We want to help you be set free from the bondage that you're in. Allow us to do that with you. Allow us to share with you the freedom of the truth. That you might be set free to live for the glory and honor of the Christ. Because as pillars of the truth, every one of us stands erect. Every one of us stands upholding that truth. The question comes, how strong do you stand? And my prayer for you and for me is that we would never compromise. That we'd buy truth, never sell it, Proverbs 23, 23. We do all we can to obtain it, never compromise it. Why? I'll say it to you again. The only thing that matters this side of eternity is truth. That's it. Truth. Without truth and people knowing truth, they will spend eternity in hell. For those who know the truth, they will spend eternity with Christ. That's why Christ at the end of his ministry is saying, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And that truth, it will set you free. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today and the opportunity you give us to spend time in your word. We are a grateful people. Our prayer, Lord, is that you instruct us and teach us in the way that we should go, that we might honor you. I do pray for every father in the room that he'd be a man, a man of God, somebody who desires nothing but the truth, who wants to depend on no one else but the truth, who wants to defend that truth with all that he has, declare it loudly, proudly, because he wants to demonstrate every aspect of that truth to his family. My prayer is that if there's one here who does not know you, that today would be the day of their salvation, they would be set free from the enslavement of sin and follow the great God and Savior of the world, Jesus Christ our Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.